0: Hello and welcome to Bobby and Jens presented by Zwift. One thing I'm thankful for is still being able to train with friends on Zwift any time of the day. Being motivated by the massive community means there's always someone to ride with and new locations to explore. Like the new Japanese inspired Makuri Islands and my personal favorite route, the Mega Pretzel on Watopia. Riding with friends makes the training easier and they always know how to push me. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and as always, we got Jens, my main man, Vogt, over there in Germany. Jens, how's it going, buddy?
1: It is really cold, and um, about 10 days ago, I decided um, my uh, small challenge towards the end of the year is I wanna do at least one little piece of sport every day. So normally it's uh, an hour or it's uh, running, home trainer and outdoor riding. Back to running, home trainer and outdoor riding. And I'm doing pretty well. I now have 10 or 12 days constantly um, doing some sports. So that's good. We had uh, the electrician coming to connect the oven at my son's apartment. So the time he's actually really gonna move out, getting closer and closer. So all in all, it looks pretty good on my side.
0: Yeah, it seems like for weeks now you've been talking about getting your son out of the house, but uh, hasn't quite uh, flown the coop yet, huh? Indeed. Well, I I can't complain, Jens. Um, It's nice weather here. I got to go on a little trip last weekend and it was actually super warm. I get back here to Greenville and it's super warm. Um, But you know me. I hate snakes and sharks, they scare the heck out of me. So anytime I'm in water, I'm like, there's a shark in there. Anytime I'm in my backyard, I'm like, you know, just looking out for snakes. Haven't seen a snake here for for a long time. And I get back and my wife takes a video of a snake in our backyard because it was, you know, our dogs were playing with it. And it decides to somehow slither underneath the house through like a tiny little open open vent. So, um, I will not be going under the house for quite a while, I must admit. Um, it's a black snake. It's not a dangerous snake. It's actually one of those good snakes. But, yeah, man. No thanks. No thanks. But, um, yeah, on to the show today. We have a great guest. And, you know, watching him race over the years, I, I would just describe him as Jens Volt 2.0. I mean, he was always in the breakaway. He had these amazing finishes One of my favorite finishes in the Tour de France last year, um, I'm sorry, in in 2019, was when he won the eighth stage and right in front of Alaphilippe and all the guys attacking. So without further ado, welcome our next guest, Thomas de Ghent, to Bobby and Jens, presented by Swift. Okay, everyone, as promised, today we have one of the strongest men in the peloton over the last decade, and maybe he took a page or two out of Yenzi's book, but he is his own person. He's won some amazing races. Great guy. Mr. Thomas DeGent, welcome to the show. Hello. So, yeah, let's start off, like, obviously, it's the offseason. Um, tell us where you are right now, and... What you have coming up over the next couple of weeks? Uh,
2: at this moment, uh, I'm just at home in Semmerzaken. and uh, the next weeks, months, I will be in Spain. So uh, on Saturday we leave uh, for training camp, and then I will just stay there until uh, the second training camp, and then uh, from there on I will go through, uh, I think uh, uh, San Luis or San Juan. I always mix them up. Um, And then go back uh, straight to Spain for training camp and uh, that's so so now it's uh, very easy at home uh, just training from uh, from home and uh, the next two months will be uh, traveling in Spain and in Argentina
1: so when you say staying at home and training what's um what are you training right now course the ability muscle athletics or just riding the bike is it the hours you're doing now you do some intensity mountain biking or what's your normal schedule for, the, let's say, for the next two or three days? What's your plan there?
2: For the moment, it's still really basic, not, not that many hours I have to do because I was a bit uh, overtrained in the last season. So I had to take a long rest uh, and uh, still we, we, we talked about this with the, with the team management, uh, with the trainers to keep it really simple until the first training camp. So now I do like a three, three and a half hours, the the most I did was four hours, that's really nothing, but I put some intensity in this and uh, uh, some sprints, power training, uh, mountain bike, uh, but nothing too serious yet. And now from the first training camp, the, the, the hours will go up and I will have to do five and six hours, but we wanted to take it a little bit more easy than other years this time because... Uh, it happened too many times that I was in great shape in January and February. And then by uh, April I was going down with the level. So we had to take it a bit more easy this time and make sure that we are on, in, good, in good shape in, uh, in March and April.
1: So can I just ask then a second question to this? That probably means you will reach your peak form later that year, right? So what are you aiming for? The Ardennes Classics, you want to be in peak form there? Or then, even later than that, for the Dauphiné, for the Tour de France to go for stage wins?
2: Um, The Tour de France is not not really certain yet, because we have a a young team that also wants to go. And uh, they don't want to put down five names that are certain about their place yet. They want to keep it open and uh, just say 13 names and they all... All 13 have an have equal chance of going to the tour. Maybe Caleb a little bit more, but the rest is has to fight for a spot. Um, the spot. The goal is always like Paris and uh, Catalonia. Uh, I always want to perform really well, but I always felt like Catalonia was a really good shape. I had a really good shape there, and then from there on it went a little bit downwards. And when I had to go to the Giro, it, it was like I came out of a dip and it was uh, really difficult to to gain, uh, uh, to gain form back and to do the, the, the high power. It's, uh, it was a bit more difficult. So I want to aim for the, the Giro to be on really top level there and then uh, try to gain a spot for the Tour.
0: Well, you know, you mentioned something about overtraining. Um, I thought a lot about this, you know, during the pandemic when you guys were kind of on hold no one knew when you were going to start training again. And then all of a sudden, all those races came back, like at the end of the season, um, two years ago. And then before you knew it, you were starting the next season and then the full slate of races, you know, in, in this year. So it doesn't surprise me that uh, I'm sure you weren't the only one that had some, you know, issues with with overtraining because it was so, you know, back-ended heavy in in 2020 that um, you know, this year it was just like there was no real break in between the two massive seasons. So when, when you when you said you felt a little bit overtrained, uh, I know as professional cyclists or even amateur cyclists, they they just tend to deal with it. And it just kind of keeps on not getting better, digging yourself into a deeper hole. But what was it that you realized that, you know what, I'm overtrained, I need to take a break in order to reset the dials to be, be to be ready for, for 2022. What are some of those li- like little signs that guys have these days?
2: There were a lot of signs, but uh, we, we, like you said, we just try to keep, uh, keep the s- schedule like it was and uh, just go to the tour and try to perform well. But uh, you, you could just feel like I was not recovering like I used to and I had difficulties with, uh, with going in attacks. I could do two, three attacks and then I was finished for the day. Like usually I can do 10 of those attacks and then still recover a little bit. Um, and when I had two, three weeks of no racing and the first two, three days of the next race, they were like, uh, like the old days, just good legs, good feeling. And by the third day it was already like, I couldn't recover anymore. And the fourth day I could not, uh, Push four hundred watts for ten minutes anymore. So it was; these were the signs, but we we didn't want to see them yet. And it was by just my trainer was analyzing all the the data from the past two seasons, and he said, "Yeah, but you had one hundred thirty-five race days in thirteen months. That's a bit too much. <laughs> it's." Uh, I know i'm strong and i can uh, can have uh, a lot of races but this was too much from uh, august 5 2020 uh, until september 5 I had 135 race days and four grand tours so maybe it was Ooh. a little bit too much
1: but uh, it's hard to say no right you're in good shape so you want to get better results more results the team asked you hey you know, Thomas, we need you. This and this rider is sick or he's not in good shape or he has to go home. We need you. We need you. And you obviously say yes, 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 until it's too late, right? But it's it's good that yeah. you learned the lesson. You find the mistake. And you're not going to do it again. So that's that's good that you actually, you know, analyze the problem. And I guess you will be back to the normal Thomas de Ghent next year. I can't wait to watch you, my friend.
2: I, I, I hope I'm uh, back at the normal level, but yeah, the, the last season you saw that all the young guys, they can push, uh, they can push so hard, they, they are at a different kind of level. But if you lose one or two percent of your uh, performance, then yeah, you cannot do anything anymore in this peloton. You cannot uh, follow them on a climb, you cannot recover in between climbs. And once they, are, they start to attack and they are, start to attack very early, then yeah, it's, uh, it's finished and it's frustrating. And I had years before where uh, I was bad in one race and then we knew, yeah, okay, we need this race to, to gain some more, uh, yeah, to gain the form back, to get back at the level that we want to. And we were waiting for this and this year it just didn't come. So it's, it's, uh, it's it was also new for me and my trainer, but uh, we have to learn from the mistakes that we made. And uh, now we know that uh, four Grand Tours is a bit too much in two seasons.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But you know, you know, you're known as a breakaway specialist, very similar to my buddy Yenzi here. Um, and when I when I see or talk to people over here in the U. S. that don't know the sport as well as we do, or haven't been in it uh, at the depth that we have they're just like, oh, that just guy That guy just goes as hard as he can and just prays that he doesn't get caught. But I was never a breakaway specialist. So I've heard Jens talk about the little tactics or the little things he thinks about or the calculations that he makes. But what sort of information are you taking in in those breakaways or calculations that you're making when, when you're trying to stay away? It can't be just go as hard as you can for as long as you can, right? Like, you're, you're playing playing a little bit of possum from time to time, correct?
2: Um, yeah, it depends on uh, what kind of race it is. If it's uh, a, a race where they can chase uh, really easily, then you have to adapt a little bit to the bunch. But if it's like a race when it's only up and down, like eight, nine climbs, when you go as hard as, as you can on the climb, in the bunch they have to go 20, 30 watts faster than... They can do this two climbs, but then the the domestics, they are out. Then the second row of domestics has to do it. Two climbs after that, they are also finished. So at one point it's only the the GC leaders or the, the, the big guys that are left. And if you have still two, three minutes, nobody is going to chase anymore. So on days like this, you have to go as fast as you can for as long as you can. And somebody will crack. Either it's you or the peloton. Somebody has to crack. And uh, when I try this twenty times in a season, it's eighty times, eighteen times me that, that that's cracking. But it's the two times that the peloton that the peloton cracks that makes it uh, worth it to try every time. But now eighty percent of the of the breakaways is just calculating the uh, the the gap. Uh, you yeah. have to know the. The parkour, where the climbs are, if there are any climbs, and just uh, like I try to set some goals uh, for myself. Uh, like for example, when there is a still one climb, sh- a small climb, 30 kilometers from the finish, I want to have one and a half minutes on the top of this climb to be able to stay to stay away. So then my goal is to have at least one and a half minutes on top of this climb. So you. What, what i like to do is make intermediate goals to make the race a little bit shorter mentally instead of thinking about it's a 200 kilometer stage no it's 30 kilometers until that climb there are one to have five minutes 20 kilometers further there's another one so you, you just divide the the race in in chapters and uh, in sectors and then it's uh, mentally a little bit shorter this is so cool You sound
1: like me. I would have exactly used the same words, explained the same way. That is so cool to hear it from you. That's also how how I did it. Calculate, like, instead of going, oh, my God, 200 kilometers to go, you go, no, it's only 20 until the next village, intermediate sprint, or 30 to the next climb. I know. Hey, and um, question. Sometimes when I have these long and flat tour stages, right, where nothing happens, and I'm in a break. Very often I had the last song I heard in the team bus in my mind all the time. What do you do on these long and boring breakaways to keep your mind occupied? Like I sometimes had this last song and one time it was Barbara Streisand with Woman in Love. And I had that song (laughs) hours for hours in my mind. So what do you do? What is in your mind when it's a long and slow and steady ride?
2: I'm lucky enough when it's a, a race, a, a flat stage like this, that we have Caleb and I have to work for him. <laughs> but still, you have to try to bring the breakaway back. Um, but my problem sometimes is that I have like only uh, the, 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 the chorus from a song, only two sentences. And only that those two sentences are going through uh, through my mind the whole time. And then uh, I try to sing something else, but it's, it, it doesn't always work. I think it's, uh, yeah, when it's mentally boring, then you think about the last part where it was still fun and that's usually in the best. That's the only part where it was still fun.
0: Well, again, you know, being a breakaway specialist and and having to work for for sprinters, you know, like, like Caleb, there was one time in your career in 2012 where you didn't have time to go in those long breakaways or work for a sprinter. You were actually riding so well, you wound up getting third overall Winning the stage on the Stelvio, you know, had a great time trial on the last day and moved into third overall. Um, what clicked for you in that race? Because obviously, anytime you can get on the podium in a Grand Tour, it's unbelievable. But for for a breakaway specialist, for a guy as big as yourself, um, at that time, I think you were riding for Vacum Soleil, correct? It wasn't one yeah. of the biggest teams, but what what clicked that year where? You know, not only were you riding well in the flat, but you were riding well, good enough on an uphill to win, you know, Passa a Stelvio.
2: Yeah, I was always a, a decent climber, not like for GCs, uh, but I can climb. I can do, uh, if I really want, wanted to, I could do some more GCs, but I didn't like the lifestyle of a GC rider. They have to watch what they eat, what they drink all the time. You cannot have one bad day or your GC is gone. And uh, I just had too much stress so I stopped with, uh, with this. Um, but I'd rather be uh, uh, the cyclist that I am today than try to become a GC rider and fail and just stop like after four or five years uh, and, uh, and just be a failed GC rider that would not be a, I, I wouldn't like this. Um, But in 2012, I was uh, three, four kilos lighter than I am now. I was at uh, 67 kilos and uh, now I'm 71. Usually uh, when I'm at at my lightest, it's uh, 69 and a half. So uh, I was a lot lighter. I was in the shape of my life. I had a really good training camp. Um, And there were no big guys in the the Giro. The the best GC riders just weren't there. you, you did not have a Contador or uh, Basso was already aging, so he was not the Basso that he was that he used to be. Scarponi also wasn't the Scarpone, Scarponi that, the, that he used to be. The same with uh, Rodriguez. He is not really a GC rider uh, that was doing uh, podiums, and there he could uh, almost win. So the, the, the way of racing just was perfect for me. They did not attack uh very very soon they always waited until the last two three kilometers from the finish on the uphill climb so that that was p- perfect for me we always did like a steady pace high steady pace and then they attacked and they gained like 30 40 seconds on me but it was like this every day they only gained 30 seconds 40 seconds so uh the the team said to me uh, the year before that was a uh, uh, 6th on uh, Alpe du West and 4th in the time trial, in Grenoble in the Tour de France and they said uh, just uh, keep up with Gustav-Erik and with uh, logotin they are going for the for the GC and you just stay with them and uh, just don't try to lose any, any time and they failed after 10 days, they were both gone out of the uh, GC and I was still there, I was still top 20. Um, and I just had to try and follow. That was the only goal I did not attack. I did not try to have a result in any way, just try to follow. And I was also surprised that after 17 days, I was still there in in, in top 10. I was still there and uh, yeah, f- uh, I was still young. So once you get to this spot and you have the opportunity, then you can like out outperform yourself a little bit. You go a b- little bit deeper because it's, I could feel like it's well, uh, it was a once in a lifetime experience, and uh, probably it would never happen again that I would be this close to a podium in a in a Grand Tour. So yeah, it was uh, it's, it was strange for me also in those three weeks. The, it was uh, something that also never happened after that. I was uh, trying to be a GC rider in the in the tour the year after, and after three days I was forty minutes down in GC. So. Uh, that was the time that I said, okay, I stop at the GC thing and just become a stage hunter.
1: So now you talked about it as if you remember everything like yesterday. Would you say that was the best time of your career? These three weeks with your team and you outperforming yourself, you're surprising yourself. Was that the best time, <clears throat> or you would say no, there's an- another day or another event that happened where I was feeling
2: much more happy about it? Um, I think it's the best three weeks, because also because of the, the victory on the Stelvio. If I didn't win on the Stelvio and just was was top 10, then uh, it would not be as legendary for myself as, as now with the win. Uh, the, the win really put the cherry on the cake and it was uh, a good three weeks without any problems, no crashes, no just one flat tyre on a bad moment, but that's it. Also with the team, they uh, started to believe in me and they, they were riding for me. So that was also a strange experience for myself because I'm I'm not really domestic, but I was also not a leader. I was just somebody that's alone in a group usually, and now everybody was working for me. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's pretty close to the best three weeks of uh, of my career.
0: Yeah, anytime you finish in a podium of a, of a grand tour, you know those three weeks went pretty well. But you've won stages in each of the three grand tours, you know, multiple stages in Pyrenees, Catalonia. Um, like you said, you won the stage to Stelvio. You also won the stage to Mont Von, too. But um, on those long climbing days, when you, as a time t- uh, breakaway specialist, are totally convinced that you're going to go all in for the win, what sort of little tweaks do you make in your setup is it uh, a different pair of wheels is it a different bike is it a different you know a skin suit compared to um, you know a jersey and shorts what are some of the things that go through your mind of of saving saving energy and 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 watts when you're convinced that that's the day that you're going in the breakaway
2: Now um, uh, the skin suit is something that I I, I had to try uh Craig Henderson, he said, yeah, the skin suit is a lot faster than normal jersey and, and pants. So you have to try the skin suit. And uh, I think one of the first races that I tried the skin suit in a race, I, I won. So um, from then on, uh, I just uh, I just kept riding in the skin suit. But everybody uses it, so it's not really an advantage. Um, I think it's uh, when you want to go all in for the a, for a breakaway, on a tough day like this, you have to really mentally prepare already from the day before. You have to convince yourself that you want to hurt yourself in the the day that's coming. And um, when I really want to be in a breakaway, I have a little bit more interest in the in the parkour, in the road book. I look a little bit more into de- detail where the climbs end, the the where the downhill ends, where the sprints are, and. Um, then I don't really need the information from the team director. I, I have it already here and just it's confirmation uh, if they tell me anything about uh, the parkour. But it's like more mental preparation that it's it's different to other stages when I really want to go all in for the breakaway.
1: When I had days like that, I refused to think about the length of the stage. I focused all my energy. My first race was finished when I was in the break, and the break is established. That was my first finish line. And then, okay. now we think about the rest of the day. How much energy do I have left? How does the competition look? But when I wanted to be at all costs in the break, I never thought about how many hours I'm going to be out there. I had, okay. my first and only goal is make that break. And then I can think about the rest. Did you have a similar strategy, or you planned, always the entire stage as one piece.
2: No, no, no. The the it's uh, something that I tell myself, you have to be in it to win it. So I cannot win from the bunch. So you have to be in it to win it. And uh, being in the break is the first goal. But that's the first fight of the day. And that's usually the hardest one to be in the break. And because uh, you, you had the same problem, uh, especially by the end of your career, that the, the the more legendary status you have in breakaways, the more people that aim for your wheel. Then it's getting more and more difficult to get away because yeah, uh, you, you, when you attack and twenty guys follow your wheel, mm-hmm. the bunch doesn't let uh, let you go anymore. It's uh, it's getting difficult each year, more difficult. So it's uh, I have to find something else to 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 attack. I have to find uh, like a hard part in the start of the. Uh, the start of the race, uh, climb somewhere and try to attack there. I cannot attack on the flat anymore uh, because then there are too many guys in the wheel. So you have to uh, adapt a little bit.
1: But uh, Thomas, that is an absolute compliment. Not many people have their name mentioned in the other team bus. Like whatever happens today, don't let the Gantt go. Whatever happens, follow the wheel of the Gantt. Not many riders reach that status. I know it makes the life really hard, but that doesn't happen very often. You should be proud of that. I know it's hard, but that's a very rare compliment. Only once or twice a season a rider accomplishes that. So you're on the right path, my friend. You're doing really well.
2: Yeah, but, but now it's very difficult to to be in a breakaway. So uh, uh, it's it's like 50-50. I'm proud to be named in the, the other team buses, but it's also yeah, really difficult to do my job. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one thing you mentioned, alluded to a little bit earlier, is that, you know, the young guys just have the ability, you know, to push so much more watts or go so, so deep.
1: If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus for less than a dollar a week. You can get a hard copy of Valley News Magazine, choose two books a year from Press access all the premium content from the whole outside family including yoga journal, Peloton magazine, and backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valleynews.com/outside plus, and enter Bobby Yens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout. You receive our special 25% discount, and you make a good deal. Great! And now back to our chat with Thomas. You know, you've been in the
0: peloton for a long time now, and you know you've been. You've raced against the best and now there's this young generation over the last, you know, two or three years that are just coming in and everyone's talking about it, but not everyone is actually still in the peloton like yourself trying to get into the breakaways against these guys. What do you think the new generation is is doing that allows them to, A, come into the peloton basically from the junior ranks or under 23 ranks and be so successful right away? But you know, B, just just be there at such a young age, and and you know, what has brought that level up from uh, from you know ten years ago when you started to till now?
2: I don't think they do something something different. Uh, I think their preparation and their uh, their teams they do all the same uh, the same things. Uh, they they all have a scientific. Uh, background now with the training and with aerodynamics but these young guys they raised each other already from a young age and when you you can see like with Van Aert and Van der Poel they always raised each other and they like right. built each other up and that's i think that's the same with the young guys that are now coming to the or that are, that are now in the last two years uh, that, that they came to the pro peloton Uh, Pojakar and Evenapu raced each other and uh, like Bernal and and Roglic, they raced each other a little bit. And you have like these young guys when when they are at a young age and they already have to overperform to even win junior races at a high level. And they come to the the, the pro peloton. If They just continue on on that basis and they skip the under 23. uh, category just because they are so strong and just two three years of uh, of uh, uh, yeah. two three years of riders that all of the same age and they are just all strong and we I think we we didn't have really strong riders five years ago seven years ago or eight years ago that came to the the pro peloton it was always the same riders still. It was uh, still Contador and Valverde and uh, uh, so many guys, they became older and now suddenly there are young riders that mm. can perform probably at the same level like those guys in the young days. But it's like a big gap between those old riders and now the new riders. And my generation is uh, maybe not so strong as like the best the best old riders were and now the young uh, new riders are. So. We, our generation, my generation, my age, the last five years, we are just, to say it bold, uh, a bit weaker than the other generations. That's, that's what I think.
1: That's a very good explanation. I never thought of it in this way, but you put it really to the point and yeah, that, that, that would make sense. And basically with the young generation, you have the feeling feel like 10 Peter Sagan's coming in. I mean, every single one of them is a potential super champion, right? I mean,
2: yeah. uh, Like Sagan came to the pro peloton and he won uh, each year 20 races, but he was the only one. Mm. If you have three Sagan's every year, then it's it's like uh, three Sagan's and they all race different races. Then you have the same three names winning all the races, but that's the same what, what happens now. So I think it's, uh, yeah, the, the, the young generation is just a level higher and they are with a few too many and uh, it's uh, difficult for us because uh, yeah. normally young riders, they come to the pro peloton and they are a bit starstruck and they, they see us and they have respect. But these young guys, they, they don't have respect, they just attack you and they leave you behind and they win the races. So it's, uh, it's good for, the, for TV, they, they like to attack early, they don't wait until the last three kilometers. So it only, it's only good for the, the people at home that watch the races. But it's hard for me because I suffered a bit more now.
0: <laughs> I just think they're fearless. I mean, you you bringing up Peter Sagan, you know, I remember he was like 19 or 20 and he was winning a stage in Paris-Nice. And I'm watching it on TV going, wait, that's not the way that that's supposed to happen. Or that's not the, the normal kind of protocol. And, and you see that guys attacking, you know, from 50K out, 80K out. I mean, they're just fearless. They've totally ripped up the script. Of what the older generations have done, and yeah, maybe brought a little bit of that under twenty-three, even junior kind of intensity to the beginning of the races. And I tell you, watching it on TV or sitting on my couch from over here, it's it just blows me away. Um, you know, from the TV screen, it looks like oh yeah, everyone's together, but then you hear on Instagram or Twitter, or you know, guys calling you up or just social media that like the breakaway doesn't go until three hours into the race or two and a half hours into the race. Like everyone was on the limit for that long. And then finally the breakaway went and, you know, you know, why didn't they just let it go in the first 15 minutes? But yeah, fearlessness that that's gotta be, um, a, a big part of this new generation. They just, they just don't care what the old guys, the old generation used to do. Good for them. Great for them. Great for us.
2: Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a change. And, uh, for the old riders, it's, a uh a change that we didn't see, uh, uh, we we didn't see it coming, uh, this kind of change. We saw the juniors coming to the pro peloton and we were laughing a little bit. Uh, Yeah, wait until we do uphill uh, start in Catalonia, then they will be dropped. But no, they (laughs) just attack and they drop you. So it's, uh, yeah, they are just stronger and we we have to try and and adapt. That's the only thing that we can do, but it's... uh, it's nice to watch on TV when I'm not in the race, but in the race, it's a bit a, a bit different.
1: But uh, Thomas, before we come to ask you maybe about your last season and what you want to do after that, I have a story to make you laugh. 2001, Perry Nice, first stage. You, 2001? 2011, sorry, 2011. <laughs> Thank you, Bobby. You in the break with me and Jeremy Raw, And you dropped us and I was you know, supposed to be the king of breakaways. And we were in the break and I was already 40 years old. So I was slowly on my way down and you were just this young, strong kid, only 25 years old, 15 years younger. And you dropped me. You attacked in a smart way, in a tough way, and you ended up winning. I was getting caught by the bunch. So there... I was you in 211. like, what's wrong with these young kids? You know, they were supposed to have respect for me. He just dropped me and left me and he won the stage. So see, you had also good moments, Thomas. Don't forget, you know, that was a good stage. Because there I saw, damn, this kid got serious horsepower. He is the new coming talent.
2: I I still remember that it was a a nice stage. yeah, it's, I think we all had our uh, young moments where we were the, the up and coming guys. That uh, probably you were also one of your first races that you won. That the uh, old guys said, "Yeah, it's not uh, supposed to go like this. They have to, they need to have respect." So it's just a normal way of, of coming and going in the in the bunch. Um, but yeah, when it's when it's like this suddenly, it it hurts sometimes mm-hmm. a little bit. But I, th- I don't think I'm uh, finished yet. I still have races in me that I can win. So uh, the young guys cannot win everything. There are still some races that, uh, that needs to be won. And I want to be uh, yeah, still in the bunch for a few years and try and win or, or guide the young guys even. We also have uh, good young guys in the team that I would like to guide a little bit if they need it, because they know everything better already. <laughs> they are, uh, they, they, they know everything better than the old guys. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, a uh, it's the future of, uh, of cycling, this kind of racing. And it's, uh, I, I, I can only applaud it. I'm not against it. It, there needs to be some change and, um, if the young guys can do it and make cycling a bit more popular again, that would be, that would be very good.
0: Well, you have the right attitude and um, we really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. Good luck, you know, getting back into the rhythm at training camp. And it sounds like you're going to be on the road for quite a while, but we'll be looking out for you in the breakaways in, in 2022. And yeah, make sure you take care of uh, old Caleb for us as well. We want to see him come back after his crash in crash in the tour this year. But yeah, thanks again for coming on and all the best to you
1: and your team next year. Thank you. Also from my side, thanks for being our guest tonight. It was great talking to another breakaway specialist. It was actually really nice for me. Brought back good memories. Yeah, but you
2: know, you were my idol when I was young and I was uh, still a junior. And then under 23, you were one of my uh, idols because of your way of racing and I just copied it. So when you say that I think alike, it's just because I copied your way of racing and I watched the races on TV. And I uh, tried to do the same in the race I did after. So uh, you, in a way, you made me like I am today. So thank you. Well, thank you. That actually, that
1: was actually quite touching. Thank you. You made my day. Thanks for saying that, (laughs) Thomas. Thank you. (laughs) No worries. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Thomas for being our guest today.
0: Thanks for listening, and please give us a five-star review and share us
1: with all your friends. The show was a Valley News production in association with Chuck Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Mossa.
0: Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Bobby and Jens, and share your cycling stories with us. Before we go, a quick word from our sponsor Zwift. One of the most fun parts about cycling is climbing. So why not try Garrett Thomas's athlete workout, Fun is Flying Uphill. A great pillar of any climber is muscular endurance, and believe me when I say, that's what you'll get. Testing yourself on training plans alongside world-class cyclists is what makes Zwift so exciting. I can't wait to show my friends the fitness I've built at home. All you need is a bike, trainer, and the Zwift app. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on.